Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I am your host, Mitch Robbins. I'm the founder and managing director of an organization called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help companies across the MedTech industry, digital health, diagnostics, medical device companies, to build high-performing teams, primarily on the technical side of the business, areas like regulatory affairs and quality, to name a couple. Regularly, we like to feature best-in-class leaders straight from the industry here on the podcast related to topics on all things talent. And today, I've got a guy who is a regulatory expert, uh, not only in medtech, but in digital health primarily. And if you have anything to do with digital health, you most likely know his name, Avivik Thacker, or you're already uh, friends and colleagues with him. I'm so glad he's here today to join us. We're going to really be digging into the topic at large of digital health. What's going on in the industry, talking about the trials and tribulations of getting products approved and onto the market in digital health and all things talent related as far as how to break into this sliver that is turning into a huge piece of the pie in medtech at large. So Vivek, without further ado, how are you, man? Hey, Mitch, I'm doing good. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Nice to chat with you. And and um, I'm very excited to talk about this topic. It's a, it's a very close topic to me. And, and um, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, very humbled to talk about it. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you here. I know you've been making the rounds on a variety of different podcasts with so much great content. We're honored that you are here with us here on the MedTech Talent Lab. As I started to mention in the introduction, you know, you've been in regulatory for well over a decade. I know that uh, for a good a chunk of your recent uh, career experience, it's been in digital health specifically. And so I'm glad that you're here to talk with us about just what a, uh, an explosion we're seeing, right, in this space and what's going to happen in years to come. And uh, I guess I'd like to start off by asking you, what is your take on what's going on in digital health uh, at large right now? What are some of the highlights you'd like to call out? Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. That's a great question. So as you mentioned, you know, I've been in the device industry for more for around around 13 years now. And um, I started my career with working in hardware devices. And, um, you know, I, I worked on a lot of uh, implantable devices, uh, cardio interventional cardiovascular devices, which are classified as class two and three in the US. And more recently, I have been involved in the in the software space where these uh, artificial intelligence application in healthcare and how it results into software which are classified as medical devices with a medical purpose. So, and, and as you rightly pointed out, Mitch, the digital health space is exploding right now with a lot of innovation happening within the U.S. and even outside. And uh, the applications of artificial intelligence in healthcare is being explored in, in multiple fronts, uh, right from diagnostics to treatment to monitoring of diseases. And especially with, with this COVID in, in last couple of years, the demand for those remote patient monitoring and re- demand 
demand for the digital health tools has increased a lot. And if you see the, the funding that is coming in uh, has also increased a lot uh, for developing these innovative technologies that can solve a lot of problems. So, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big sector to be in right now. But again, you know, as, as you know, in, with anything, with all this innovation comes a lot of challenges. And, um, you know, sometimes the challenges are internal in, in terms of developing a software, but then there are other challenges regarding the, the regulatory piece where, uh, you know, the regulations are not quite suited for this. So, so there, there is, there is a lot, a uh, lot of dynamic, uh, you know, activities going on in this field. And uh, yeah, I, I would, I would be very happy to, you know, talk about any specific uh, topics that you have in mind. Yeah, well, you know, you brought up something that I'd like to uh, touch on as well as the remote patient monitoring piece and and telehealth general. You know, uh, I started the Anthony Michael Group. Uh, this will be our seventh year in business. And before that, I worked as a recruiter for a search firm that did uh, healthcare leadership recruiting in hospital. And telehealth was talked about, but there was all of these challenges about how do you how do you protect privacy, but at the same time be transparent with patient data? And how do we expand and make these networks? And you start to see some of this stuff coming to fruition more and more each day. And so this remote patient monitoring thing to me is fascinating. But what I want you to dig into, if you would, is companies who, you know, perhaps they've had medical devices on the market successfully, or perhaps they're a different type of technology organization, but they've come up with a digital health idea. Right. Or the medical device company that I said had they have a commercial portfolio, but they are coming out with their first digital health product. It's a lot different to go through the regulatory process, isn't it? Yes and no. I, I guess uh, let's take a company that has already been in the market with their hardware devices and now they are entering into the software space. I think the, the challenges for them are going to be different as compared to a company that is involved in software development, has the right infrastructure for software development. And now they are entering into medical device uh, regulated space, which which is very highly regulated, highly scrutinized. So the challenges for them are going to be different. For companies who have already dealt in medical devices, they have their fundamentals clear in terms of what is a medical device, how do you classify it, and how do you generate evidence to demonstrate safety and efficacy. So all those fundamentals uh, used in hardware devices, they apply on software devices as well. But the way to execute them or the way to build that evidence package is slightly different than hardware devices. So I can draw a lot of uh, similarities between hardware and software when it comes to the regulatory framework. Uh, but at the same time, there are there are many differences also that the companies need to understand uh, in order to have a software as a medical device to be cleared in the U.S. market. You know, I know you've had the opportunity to consult with different organizations about a SAMD you know, when we say Sandy software as a medical device related products, what are some of the pitfalls that you see companies making when they're trying to develop a regulatory strategy to get these products to market? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's that's a good uh, question, uh, Mitch. So what happens is, as I as I mentioned earlier, you know, the companies. Let's let's take an example of a company that is already already developing software, and now they are entering into software as medical device space. I think for them, the challenge becomes uh, the, the 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 main challenge that comes with it is uh, working under this highly regulated medical device uh, framework. Because uh, when you are developing a software which is eventually going to be a medical device, there are so many considerations that go into 
play. Um, you know, you need to develop it using a quality management system. You have to develop it under design controls. There are a lot of standards that you need to follow for risk management or for clinical validation for a cybersecurity now that we are dealing with the patient data. So these challenges are amplified um, when, when you are dealing with medical devices. So I, I would recommend these companies to consult with a regulatory person or hire a regulatory talent. doesn't matter if that talent comes from a hardware industry or, or software industry, but hire a regulatory person to, uh, to guide you through this process and develop a regulatory strategy for you uh, so that you know you don't have to uh, you don't you don't go through all the remediation activities at later on in the stage where you are almost ready with the device but you know you haven't you haven't uh, developed it under design control so yeah I, I i would highly encourage to visit these challenges early on in the development stage you know you mentioned just the broad experience of regulatory uh, affairs experience the broad experience within regulatory affairs that you have you know you've worked in uh, a lot with class 3 products you started to transition into digital health from a professional, not necessarily from a company standpoint, but from a regulatory professional transitioning into that. What were some of the things that maybe you weren't expecting or that you really had a learning curve on when it came to working with digital health products from a regulatory standpoint? Yeah. So so my initial experience is always like when I started, uh, my, my background is in engineering. I, I'm, a, I'm a biomedical engineer uh, and, and I did my specialization in regulatory affairs for medical devices. And and since then, I've been working in hardware devices. And um, around, I would say, around 2015 or 2016, I, I got introduced uh, to the, you know, software can be used as medical device. And that was very intriguing to me. Uh, being in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, you keep hearing about all these software companies who are trying to enter into healthcare. And now, you know, they are developing medical devices, uh, which I've been working on for so long. So that was very fascinating for me. And and I decided to pursue the, that opportunity and be a part of this uh, this digital health revolution that 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 is you know unfolding right in front of us. So with that, you know, again, uh, going in with an experience of hardware devices, it was a little bit challenging to find a role where they asked for an experience in software, and I cannot get an experience in software until I get a job. So it was again like a, a chicken and egg situation. But um, the the idea that I was trying to put forward to the companies that I was talking to is that, um, you know, even though a candidate doesn't have an experience in software, uh, but if there is a robust understanding of the fundamentals of medical device development, those experience or those understanding can be easily leveraged into software as medical devices, because eventually uh, the regulatory framework right now, as we see, uh, is pretty similar for hardware devices as uh, it is pretty similar for software devices as it is for hardware uh, devices. So, you know, you still have to uh, have an intended use statement. You still have to classify your software. You still have to do analytical validation, clinical validation, uh, human factor studies. All these things are typically done on a hardware device too. So if a person has an understanding of those concepts, they can be easily leveraged um, in, in a software as medical device. Of course, there are differences between hardware and software. Where I mean, you know, there are manufacturing challenges with hardware devices which you don't have in software. There are sterilization, biocompatibility; those don't apply. But the 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 basic concept of medical device development uh, should be enough for anyone to get started and and develop a regulatory framework or a regulatory strategy for software as medical devices. I'm trying to think of an analogy because it's not like you know the sports uh, figure that comes to mind is Bo Jackson, who played baseball and he played football, right? And it's not like hey. Because I know football, I'm going to go play baseball. Clearly a whole different set of skills, right? It's not necessarily that. Would you say, I mean, 
I guess what I'm trying to get at is why do you think so many organizations are so adamant that they have to hire somebody with this software as a medical device experience and they can't look at other people that have maybe come from, you know, the track that you took? Why do you think that is? I think if you notice closely, Mitch, the uh, the the companies who are adamant on, on that uh, particular idea are the companies who have never dealt in medical devices. If a company who has been in medical device industry for a long time and, and now they are entering into software, they understand they understand the, the similarities between these uh, these two hardware and software regulatory pathways. But uh, companies who are, uh, you know, who are new to this space, who are just entering uh, into this regulated space for for medical devices, they are pretty, um, pretty set on the concept of, uh, hey, you know, we want a software, ex- we want a person who has a software experience, because otherwise, you know, how, how does it relate to what we are doing? Uh, but uh, there needs to be a piece of education that, um, even though the hardware experience, even though there is hardware experience, it is directly applicable to what you are doing because eventually you are developing a, a tool that is classified as a medical device. Uh, the regulatory challenges are the same. The regulatory solutions are the same. You know, the pathway that you develop as a regulatory professional for the company, it is pretty much similar when it comes to hardware or software. So I I would highly encourage, if you are a company interviewing a person, I would be be very open-minded in understanding what are the, how is the candidate well-versed with the medical device development? I mean, that that is the skill set that you need to look for. And if you are a candidate interviewing for such positions, I would recommend to highlight the highlight the similarities between hardware and software so that, uh, you know, the companies can easily understand what they are dealing with. You know, I really am so glad you're here talking about this. And I would actually push a little bit further and tell you that as a headhunter working with a variety of companies within medical device, you cannot imagine how many companies are adamant, no, we can't interview anybody without previous Sandy experience. And it continues to perpetuate this catch-22 of you got to have experience to get experience. But for you, who's kind of made a path for yourself, right, through uncharted waters without the experience, and you've gained the experience by getting the opportunity to have it and trying to help companies realize how many similarities there are with people with other types of medical device regulatory experience. But then also for, to hear you say to the candidate, look, it's on you. The onus is on you to explain similarities, to do your research and to make a compelling case for yourself as to why you're worthy of that role. And I think oftentimes maybe it's that some of the leadership don't necessarily have the experience that they should have or need to have. And so they need somebody on their team that's going to be the anchor. And maybe that's part of it. But I really appreciate what you're saying. Let me ask you this. I know, again, going back to the fact that you've consulted for a variety of different organizations at different stages of the product development, different phases of product development, where are you usually called in? What are some of the challenges that companies are usually facing when they call upon you for help? I think for I have had variety of uh, clients uh, and in the companies that I have worked for, uh, you know, reach out uh, to at, at various stages of development. And, and I would say the most successful are the ones that reach out early, uh, early in the development stage uh, rather than, uh, you know, rather than late because, uh, you know, regulatory is not, uh, it, I've been at many companies where regulatory is perceived as, um, you know, 
once we are, let's start developing a product, let's start making it. And, you know, at the end, when we have to get FDA clearance, let, let's bring in regulatory at that point and, uh, you know, let's get the product out. But I guess that's not the ideal way to collaborate with regulatory. Regulatory needs to be a partner on the table since the beginning, since since when you are doing the research and development of your devices, because that's where all, all the possibilities of regulatory roadblocks and, and what are going to be your challenges in at every stage of development needs to be laid out and the solution for all those challenges needs to be laid out because you never know what kind of uh, regulatory roadblock you are going to bump into at, at some stage of development. So the most common challenge, and, and I'm just focused right now on digital health and, and SAMD, mm-hmm. uh, the most important challenge for companies that I have seen is to understand if they have a medical device or not, right? You know, like if they are developing a software, will it be a medical device or not? And sometimes they know that it's going to be a medical device, but then they don't know uh, what kind of medical device it is going to be and what is going to be the, uh, the burden for evidence to demonstrate safety and efficacy of the device. That is something that they don't know. Uh, sometimes they they don't they know both these pieces uh, in the US, but they don't know what happens when they go to Europe. They don't know what happens when they go to Middle East or Asia Pacific. So there are a lot of unknowns uh, around the regulatory uh, process, and uh, it's not just the US. These companies they want to uh, want to you know launch their devices globally. Or if they are if they are a pharmaceutical company, they want to conduct a clinical trial globally where the digital health tools are used. Uh, or if it is remote patient monitoring, take any application, um, and and the challenges of the regulatory challenges are are going to be there uh, worldwide. Uh, and again, from the regulatory side, also from the agency side, uh, this is something which is very new. Um, the the current regulatory the current US FDA regulatory system for medical devices is more designed towards hardware medical devices. Um, and, and it is more focused on hardware medical devices. But um, with the innovation going on in industry and, and the pace at which the innovation is going, there is a strong demand from the agency to catch up and develop all these regulations that will that will help to assess these software devices in a way FDA has been assessing hardware devices. So, so they have done a lot of things and um, there are a lot of changes, a lot of guidance documents. You see, the 21st Century Cures Act, which was signed into legislation in 2016. Uh, and after that, a year after that, FDA released a bunch of guidance documents, which kind of solidified their position in digital health and how they are going to regulate this product and which products they are going to regulate, which product they are uh, you know, not going to regulate. So I think with all these things, the agency is encouraging innovation and trying to bring efficiency and modernization to the regulatory process but uh, again, it, it's a slow process, and uh, you know there is always this uh, catch up that FDA or the agency play with the innovation, where you know the the products are getting smarter and smarter, but uh, the regulatory framework needs to align to them uh, eventually. You know, I appreciate that that overview, and I'm not a regulatory expert by any means, right? I'm an expert on recruiting and hiring and things like that. But we work with regulatory all the time, and so there's different types of submissions depending on the device class. You could talk about the novel pathway. You're dealing with PMAs. You're dealing with five ten Ks. Where does digital health fall in? Is it some because sometimes there's more clinical trials than others, and I'm sure that affects the types of submissions that you have to go through from a, a SAMDI perspective. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you are right. Uh, the current pathways that we have for medical devices in the U.S. are, you know, based on your intended use, based on your classification. You would either do a PIT and K if you are a class two. You will do a PMA if you are a class three, and if you want to make changes. 
to your devices, you do supplements or some special fighting case. And uh, if you if you have a technology that doesn't have any any predicate uh, in the market, then you go for a de novo application. So so these are the basic pathways for medical devices. And they are exactly the same for software as medical device also. Uh, if you have a software as medical device, you will do a fight and K. If you are a class two, you will do a PMA. If you're a class three, uh, and, and you will do a de novo if your technology is brand new and there is no precedence of such technologies in market. So I don't see any difference when it comes to digital health regulatory submissions. It's exactly the same document until FDA comes up with a new framework. Uh, we we are we are limited to we are limited to these pathways. I want to wrap up by asking you your predictions. Where you know fast forward even a year to five years from now, where do you see the industry going from with regards to digital health? I think AI based software as medical devices they are here to stay. I see this sector exploding right now with a lot of different technologies, a lot of different uh, companies um, you know entering this space, including the uh, the, the tech giants, you know, the Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, they're all in, entering into this space. And then they have huge infrastructure to develop these technologies. Uh, but but the regulatory hurdles apply to them as well, right? The regulatory challenges apply to them as well. So I don't see I don't see uh, this uh, this this momentum dying down anytime soon. It's just going to go more and more. And uh, you know, FDA last year, FDA made a new division within their CDRH, which is the Medical Device Center. Uh, known as Digital Health Center of Excellence, so that shows that shows the commitment of FDA towards uh, developing these technologies, and and uh, you know they want to work with the industry, and they want to make sure that uh, you know they are able to you know foster the innovation and, and and have these devices in market you know which are safe and effective. So I think this sector is just going to grow and grow exponentially um, uh, with a lot of possibilities and and a lot of uh, changes that are coming out from the agency and the industry. Yeah, no doubt. And it is crazy just to see uh, some of the giants entering into the space, right? When you talk about Apple and Google and uh, it's amazing kind of where the stuff can go, but it takes people, right? Nothing happens without smart, talented folks uh, who continue to push boundaries. And to sum up from a talent perspective, what you just said, folks in regulatory affairs are going to have uh, jobs for for years to come, oh, there yeah. is no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. But I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for being here today, providing your perspective. And uh, if it's okay with you, Vivek, on our show notes, we're going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile and any other contact info you'd like us to provide in case folks want to follow up with you and uh, ask any questions. Is that okay with you? Yeah, sure. And and yeah, I I would be very happy to uh, to answer your questions or to provide any any guidance that you need. Uh, in fact, uh, you, you know, I have my own consulting practice. I have started my own consulting service uh, known as RecSpace, uh, which will provide uh, the quality and regulatory solutions for software as medical devices. So, you know, I would be happy to help you at whatever stage of whatever stage you of development you are with your SAMD, or even if you are thinking of entering into the software space, I would be happy to connect. Fantastic. Well, there you have it, folks. Vivek Thacker, a regulatory expert in the digital health uh, Sandy space. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Major. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.